welcome to a brand new episode of Talking Law from Women in the Law UK. I'm Sally Penny, MBE, a barrister at Kenworthy's Chambers in Manchester and the founder of Women in the Law UK. Do please visit womeninthelawuk.com to find out more about the work I do, which includes regular webinars covering subjects from how to communicate effectively and how to network with confidence. There are so many different areas to explore and all of our webinars are available to watch again on YouTube and listen to again as podcasts. There are also a series of Talking Law books which are available on Amazon. The latest, Talking Law 3, celebrates diversity in the law and you can also find books on employment rights, data protection and criminal law. Today I'm interviewing a barrister who practices from Nine Bedford Row, who is also the former chair of the Young Barristers Committee, Max Hardy. Called in 2004, Max has appeared in a number of murder trials at the Old Bailey and speeding cases at Romford Magistrates Court. He's also the trustee of the Kalisha Trust, which aims to transform the life of young people through the development of advocacy skills. I asked Max about the area of law he works in today and what led him into that field. Yes, I practice in criminal law, a little bit of regulatory law, but mostly crime. I've got a largely prosecution-based practice. It's probably about 75% prosecution, 25% defence. And I've wanted to be a barrister since I was about 16 years old. And who inspired that? I was very lucky to shadow um, a QC in the Old Bailey uh, Treasury Council by the name of Graham Bowl QC, who later went on to become an Old Bailey judge. And it was one of those moments in life where you just have an instant revelation. I walked into the Old Bailey and straight away knew that this is what I had to do uh, in life. That's so, so interesting. I want to pick up about some of the activities you've been involved in since becoming a barrister. Why have you taken interest in being a trustee of Kalisha Trust, being a chair of Young Barristers Association? You know, you've written um, and you've been the legal advisor of various things and you've done lots of bar placement and outreach work. Just tell us about some of those and why you've put yourself forward. Yes, well, talk about the Young Bar first. Um, I sometimes say that a collective noun for a group of criminal barristers is a whinge of barristers because if you ever uh, overhear uh, barristers in roving rooms talking about the state of a bar uh, there can be a lot of negativity out there and sadly a lot of that negativity is well founded in the sense that since I've uh, been called to a bar in 2004 things have got um, very, very difficult indeed. And it's, it's difficult to say that things have been improving. But it just seemed to me that it's one thing to complain on the sidelines. It's something else altogether to actually get involved, see things from the inside and, and try in your own small way to improve the situation. And that's what really um, caused me to, to, to sign up for uh, the Bar Council in the first place. Yes. Now, what about Kalisha Trust? Can you tell us what it is and why you have become a, a trustee? I don't think you've starred in any of their productions for fundraising. N- not yet. Um, so I, many years ago, got approached by the recently uh, retired um, Lady Justice Rafferty 
um, Anne Rafferty, who's a former head of my chambers at Nine Bears Road. And she uh, was uh, and is a, a trustee of the Kalisher Trust and was a friend of Michael Kalisher QC, who died much, much too young yes. in 1996 um, and was really one of the leading QCs of his generation. And he bequeathed money to create the trust. And the main purpose of the trust is to enable uh, people to become criminal barristers who might otherwise struggle to come uh, to the criminal bar. Uh, very much a focus on non-traditional background. And when I uh, became the secretary to a trust, its uh, activities were quite narrow in scope. It was really focused on the provision of uh, an annual scholarship. Yes. And since then, it has diversified enormously. And there are now outreach visits to schools and academies. There are advocacy training programs. There are internships with uh, various organizations. Uh, and one of the things I've particularly enjoyed, although I've never performed in one of their theatrical fundraising productions, um, I did participate in a video they made, uh, the trial of Goldilocks for primary schools, and I, I prosecuted Goldilocks. Uh, I, I love that. In my research, I, I saw that, and, I, and I, I thought it was a, a great little summary of, you know, a lovely children's book with lo lots of issues. <laughs> yes, I mean, I think... Um, children are never too young to start learning about justice. And um, those of us who are parents, and you're clearly one of them, will know that children have uh, actually an amazingly evolved sense of what is fair and, and not fair. And um, I think one of the really important roles that barristers really should be playing nowadays is involvement in public legal education. Yes. And I noticed that one of the activities and videos you've been doing with Kalisha, for example, is to um, have outreach days with schools as far as Skegness to tell Hamlets. Um, yes. And to be able to appeal, if you like, to children across the country, which is important work. So that leads me to a question I want to ask you about. I've often said that when we talk about diversity, so my question is, what do you think about diversity of the bar? And how can we do more to improve it? Uh, yes, yeah, so it's very simple for me. I think if you have a criminal justice system administered by people that don't look and sound like the society that they serve, it loses legitimacy. People need a sense of buy-in. They want to be able to look at a judge and say that judge looks and sounds like me. And therefore... I will accept that judge's authority. And of course, it's easy to say, well, you should accept the judge's authority, come what may, because they're a judge. But frankly speaking, people need to, to feel that they are included and represented. And it's very easy for me to say these things because I am about as traditional uh, a, a barrister in terms of background as it's possible to get. But I completely agree with you. There needs to be buy-in across the bar as to the importance of uh, diversity, it's diversity of thinking, it's diversity of uh, gender, it's diversity of skin colour, of background, it's, it's, it's every kind of diversity um, is necessary. And, and none of that should detract in any way from an expectation that standards should be maintained, that the best um, able people uh, come to a bar. But it, it, it's an absolute tragedy to hear still said even today that people feel that the bar's not a place for them because they look around at the bar and they don't see people like them. 
I mean, I do feel that in the time that I've been in practice, there have been some really positive changes in in terms of entry at the bottom level of the criminal bar. There are now huge numbers of women coming into the profession. But the thing that is very alarming is that the attrition rate is uh, as great uh, as it ever was. And you rightly said at the start of this, as a young father, I've really come to understand quite how intensive caring responsibilities fall on the shoulders of uh, women barristers. Um, Lockdown was a real revelation for me because actually I was out of court. My wife was continuing to work from home. And so I was doing all the childcare for all of lockdown. And um, it's an extraordinary uh, commitment. Uh, And I salute um, those that are, uh, are involved in that. And I uh, deprecate the fact that the bar remains a very hostile profession uh, for those with caregiving responsibilities. Yes, uh, and that's why we, you know, I set up a women's organisation for that very reason. Uh, and so it's good to hear, you know, real life experience actually from our male and male colleagues. And um, and I bet you've never appreciated your better half more now than ever. <laughs> that's an absolute understatement. <laughs> Now, Max, um, I've got some questions that I always ask uh, my guests on this podcast. Uh, And the first is, can you remember a case that meant the most to you, a memorable case? And sometimes people will say um, the first case they ever did on their feet. Um, Mine is a pro bono case, which was extraordinary. Um, I wonder if you've got a case that has really you know, stuck with you throughout your career um, because you're over 10 years call now and uh, you probably don't have the opportunity to reflect very often on that, do you? Is there a case you could share with us and why? I suppose I'm going to pick um, a, a case that I was involved in during an internship when I was working on death penalty appeals in America um, and I was involved in it in a very lowly capacity, but this was um, a, a man who'd been convicted of contracting um, his wife's killing for life insurance purposes. And um, increasing numbers of young uh, UK lawyers go out to the United States to do these death penalty internships. And there's obviously an awful lot of reading that you can do in advance. There's a lot of film treatment of the death penalty and both the charities um, Amicus and Reprieve, I did it with Amicus, lay on some really excellent training but even allowing for all of that it's only when you arrive out there and you see uh, the death penalty system up close um, that you realize uh, what a dangerous and um, for me completely wrong-headed um, enterprise it is and um, going to death row was as dramatic uh, and momentous an experience as I imagined it would be. Yes that must have been quite emotional um, I-, I want you just to, to answer this question for me for a moment you mentioned amicus who do fantastic work um, I've been very concerned about the impact of Covid on the bar particularly the criminal bar, which you and I practice at. Um, I have additional areas. And so I wondered if maybe you had any kind of advice or tips for people who will be trying to think about ways to 
improve their CVs. You know, doing amicus is a really great, great thing. I know you do an awful lot outside of, of the bar, but have you got any kind of three tips for people who want to come to the bar about experience or ways in which they could improve their chances? Yes. Um, so this is where I think social media has been a real godsend for um, access to the bar. And I feel there has been a, a really enormous demystification of the bar over the last decade or so. And I hope that a lot of law students out there or um, school uh, pupils interested in occurring the law can see that there are uh, barristers on social media who are receptive, who will interact with them, will answer questions. And I mean, I perhaps rather uh, <laughs> um, boldly at the start of the year, uh, did offer a kind of general call out for work experience. And you can imagine um, how many requests I had, but yes. there are actually quite a number of barristers out there that will lay on uh, lectures, uh, legal training. Uh, there are even some um, heroic criminal barristers that will lay on some paid uh, work experience. So um, I think that Twitter is a good resource for law students interested in seeing what um, barristers are saying um, out there. Uh, because obviously, all chambers will operate formal mini pupillage um, application uh, processes, and they can be quite um, intimidating and off-putting. And I think one of the things I really want to emphasize to anybody interested in the career in the law is that most uh, lawyers, most barristers want to help. Um, they want to uh, give advice. Um, and people shouldn't be frightened about asking for advice. Yes. Um, well, Max, uh, back to you, really. You've done an enormous of things outside of your, um, you're very busy. You write articles for The Independent um, and several other papers. Uh, you've assisted a secret barrister in writing fake law because uh, he or she thanks you. Um, at the end of fake law, I don't know if you've read it. Uh, <laughs> I, I haven't yet. I didn't no. know that. Did oh it? right, yeah, he's very good at thanking the enormous amount of barristers who've. Uh, he, he or she. Yeah, he, I've always yes. believed a she. <laughs> no, no, I've always said she, and then I thought I knew the identity, but um, enough of that. But you do do a number of things, including. Um, working closely with Channel 4 on the murder trial, for example, with real barristers, um, dramatisation. You've also write blogs um, and um, you wrote a blog about uh, I May Destroy You, which was a great television programme that um, we all watched um, in uh, in lockdown. Uh, and the Channel 4, the, the, the murder trial with real barristers and judge. So I wondered if you had a favourite book um, and uh, why? And indeed, if you had a favourite fictional lawyer um, yourself, and then maybe if you could tell us or share with us how you got into uh, writing, because it's wonderful to see. Um, yes, I can. So I suppose um, the fictional lawyer that really uh, turned me on to Byron in the first place was way back when I was about 15 or so reading Great Expectations. And he's not a very sympathetic character in Great Expectations, the, the, the barrister Jaggers, who's yes. always washing his hands. And um, you only come to discover by the end of the book how instrumental he is in um, steering uh, Pip's life. But uh, one of the things that Jaggers uh, says 
um, that I think is a real lesson for life for anybody interested in the law, not just criminal law, is uh, don't take things on appearances, take them on the evidence. And I think that that is a really useful um, life lesson. Um, I suppose if the bar hadn't worked out, I would have liked to have been a writer. My mother's a, a journalist. And I really enjoy, as a sideline, uh, blogging about law. I do also blog about um, parenting and, and fathering uh, in particular. And um, uh, that's kind of led to a little bit of um, newspaper writing, a bit of radio commentary. Uh, and then as a complete sideline, which has been really enjoyable, has been um, advising these TV shows, TV legal shows. Uh, and the Channel 4 program that you refer to was an incredibly interesting experiment, which was a um, murder trial, as you say, using real barristers, a real judge, real yeah. police. Um, they uh, assembled uh, essentially a real jury and then used actors to play um, the witnesses. And it was a half dramatization and then half the actual trial. And it's about as close as you're going to get in England to seeing a murder trial on the screen, because, of course, there's an absolute prohibition on, on filming in, in the Crown Court. Yeah. Um, the people behind that were able to film parts, at least, of a real murder trial in Scotland. And there was something really quite uh, remarkable about seeing uh, television cameras in, in, in a Scottish um, criminal court. And I think one of the things that I really want to see is as much accuracy as possible in TV legal representations. Uh, you know, and I'm not one of these barristers that goes bananas because there's a gavel, although there should never, ever, ever be a gavel anywhere in sight. But oh, gosh, I, I think things, well, yeah, things that are really unhelpful is if TV shows show very aggressive cross-examination of children or uh, rape complainants or something like that, something that absolutely would not be permitted uh, nowadays. And it, it, that can have a very negative impact on people's perception of the criminal justice system. So uh, the shows that I've been involved in, I've always tried to um, keep that side of things as, as accurate as possible. Yeah, which is fantastic. Um, I, I, just a quickie one, really, Max, about well-being. I've been a great advocate to ensure that people burn bright and don't burn out. I can't say I'm very good at it. Uh, you know, I work in the night, long hours, um, and some of the activities I've been doing during lockdown, you know, walking for male suicide prevention, those things, have really brought it to a fore that we need to get better. What do you do for your well-being and to kind of have some semblance of balance in your own practice and in really in your own life? The thing that I really enjoy is swimming in lakes and rivers, what some people get incredibly annoyed about when it gets called wild swimming because <laughs> people say, well, it's, it's just swimming. And, and actually, I have a little personal commitment to myself, which is if I ever go to court by the sea, so Brighton or Ho, somewhere like that, um, I will always swim, regardless of the time of the year, even if it's January, I'll go and jump in the sea. Um, and then in London, I like uh, doing that a lot in the Hampstead Ponds. The thing that I really enjoy, but I very rarely get to do, is taking myself away completely on my own to go cycling in Wales. Yeah. And um, I've done that a couple of times. And I also cycled across the Carpathian Mountains in Romania uh, a good few years uh, back. Uh, and 
that kind of solo voyaging, um, I think, is incredibly um, restorative and, uh, and beneficial. Huge thank you to Max Hardy for talking law with me, Sally Penny, MBE. Please do catch up with my previous episodes where you can hear interviews with guests such as high-profile criminal barrister Joanna Hardy and the current president of the Law Society, I, Stephanie Boyce. If you've enjoyed the podcast, do share Talking Law with your friends or colleagues and do subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can follow me on Twitter at SallyPenny1 or search for Sally Penny or Women in the Law UK on LinkedIn or Instagram. And don't forget the extensive resources for anyone working within the law available at womeninthelawuk.com. Thanks to our production team, Sam Walker and Michael Blaze at What Goes On Media. Bye for now.